You're tuning in to the Raised by Rentals program. This podcast will contain strong language and spoilers for decades-old media properties. Welcome, everybody. This is the podcast where we examine pop culture franchises of the VHS era, improv, new stories, and gush like fanboys about our favorite movies, TV, and games. I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we were raised by rentals. Mike, it has been a crazy summer, but we are back with our off week special. Only this time, I don't feel like ranting about stuff. Nope. Nope. I am not in the mood to bitch and moan and whine about something in pop culture that that sucks, guys, because I'm actually it's not supposed to be that way. No, no, no. We're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that because everybody all over the fucking social media is bitching about the Little Mermaid and the new Disney trailer that came out. And everybody, all the racist jerks are all on TikTok trying to justify their racist takes and why she's not supposed to be black. So I'm just going to come around and say, fuck all those people right off the bat. And if you're one of those, stop listening to my podcast. Go away. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the whole rant. We're getting, getting it out of the way. But and so, so anyway, we used to, before the summer of 2022, just destroyed my uh, productivity. We, uh, you know, we were doing our rental rant episodes on our off weeks in between our improv episodes, and those were always a ton of fun. And it was fun to get on and just kind of like bitch about stuff. And then we also had a couple, you know, kind of special episodes. We had a guest on. We had Michael May on from the uh, Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mosh. Monster Mosh. Monster Mosh. <laughs> Monster Mosh. No, from the Count Creepyhead Saturday Morning Monster Mash podcast. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we kind of put the specials on hold because it was kind of a crazy summer. There's a lot of other stuff going on. But we're back and we decided, uh, listeners, because, Mike, you know this. And I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> but we, I do. We decided that we were going to switch up the format, even of our specials, instead of just trying to rant about shit every week or frame something around some kind of uh you know bitch session that we were going to go the opposite direction and talk about some stuff that we actually like and, and so for this uh first super gusher special i want to talk about dumpster diving in the septic tank of pop culture <laughs> yes somewhere and, i love rooting around <laughs> and what i mean and i love that she said rooting around because rooting rooting around like uh, like swines in the muck <laughs> looking for the pearls yep and so um what i mean is that there is a lot of pop culture out there that people just shit on all the time like there you know certain dark corners of the fandom or out of the way uh, uh, hobbies and you know little niche uh niche corners of you know movies and comics and video games where there's a huge majority i'll say of you know fans who will just shit on it because you know it oh that that that's the bad stuff you know they'll just dismiss it out of hand because you know it's not worth our time it's not the good shit you know it's not the not the gourmet stuff you know that's the fast food drive through crap and i'm here to say man there's so much good stuff tucked away in those seedy grimy little corners that i just kind of want to talk about them a little bit right now kind of shine a spotlight uh on the rat infested you know dumpsters of pop culture <laughs> to point out the fact that there are gems to be found absolutely 
one thing I'll bring up right off the bat is uh, the thing you're saying where people bitch and complain before even giving it a chance kind of ties into what you said about The Little Mermaid, but remakes in general. Now, this is a rant I've gone on a thousand times, so I'm not going to repeat myself here, but just it's that concept of I don't know anything about it. It's a remake, so I'm just going to hate it on principle without giving it a chance. That's just you're just denying yourself the possibility of good entertainment. Like, yeah, there's going to be shit. Every entertainment has shit in it, you know, but you're (laughs) going to be able to find good stuff. If you try to look, you try it out. Do I like every remake I see? Oh, fuck no. Oh, there's so many bad ones out there, but there's also some really great ones. You and I have talked multiple times about the Dawn of the Dead remake. You know, that's a fucking fantastic remake. So fucking give them a chance. So we're kind of in that vein today where it's like, what you should be giving a chance to uh, that people automatically think is crap for whatever reason. Yeah, hundred percent. And I know that you and Mike and Josh over on the Count Creepy Head podcast, you guys talk a lot about those sort of uh, dark corners, like you know, toy lines that are underappreciated, or you know, with the uh, what is it called? What's it called? The dumpster fire theater? Is that what it's yep. called? Right? Dumpster fire theater. <laughs> That's it, right? <laughs> Where you get to just you know watch some movie that is you know. I guess bad, right? I mean, who am I to judge? I don't know, right? But like, you know, just in the interest of, you know, keeping it simple, you watch a shitty movie and just, you know, talk about it, whether it's good, it's bad, it's fun. On the Boogeyman's Closet podcast, you guys review movies all the time. And sometimes the best episodes are the episodes where no one likes the movie and it's an absolute piece of gutter trash, but you have a good time with it because, you know, there's still some value even even in its horribleness, you know? Find um, the joy in the crap. <laughs> I'm a big comic book fan, which any of our our longtime listeners would know. And I want to take the opportunity, and I'll take any opportunity to take to talk about comics, really. But <laughs> I, I want to take the opportunity to just uh, gush about some comics that I love, specifically comics from the '90s. You know, I'm old. I like comics from the '90s. I started reading comics in the '90s, so maybe I'm biased, but. In the comic book fandom world in general, there is an overall view, again, in general, that the 90s were a dark time in comics, right down to the fact that people look at the history of comic books and they look at them in terms of like ages, right? There was the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and they all kind of denote not only times in history, but also they denote uh, trends, overall styles, and there's usually some, you know, major shift in approach that would uh, indicate the change in one of those ages. But the shortest age that I've ever heard of in comics is just the fact that the 10 years of the 90s is the dark age. And I'm right. I, I'm here to say fuck all that because yeah. I think that there are some amazing comics from the 90s and not the ones that everybody talks about like Sandman. Of course, the Sandman is good, right, from Neil Gaiman. Of course it is, but that's mm-hmm. not that's not in the dumpster. I want to go in the dumpster and pull out the good shit and you know kind of talk about it a little bit. So that's where I'm gonna go. What about you? I know you talk about movies and horror movies a lot, but what about you? Like, oh, what do you, you want to kind of want to talk about right now? I have so many, so many uh, like horror movies and weird sci-fi movies and and stuff from the the uh, early ages of the 90s and late 80s. Um, so yeah, I, I got a lot of I got a lot of movie talk about that, but I will join you in the comics talk because as you have uh, have heard me gush multiple times, 
I was a fan of both Shadowhawk and Spawn. Now, I know Spawn was super popular, but the comic (laughs) has a lot of ups and downs, a lot of peaks and valleys, let's just say, in quality. Uh, Shadowhawk, on the other hand, was not the most uh, quality book, but I fucking loved it. I I loved it for for whatever reason. It hit the right, it scratched the right itch when I was, what, 11, 12? I forget when that came out. (laughs) Um. But no, the 90s in general, like, I, w- I will agree with you. The, the idea of calling it the Dark Ages is fucking ludicrous because we have comics like fucking Milk and Cheese, uh, John of the Homicidal Maniac, like cl- m- comic books that kind of changed the game, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for, for I don't want to say mainstream, but they were making waves in mainstream books. You had stuff like Preacher. Preacher is probably oh, yeah. my all time favorite comic book. And it came out in the 90s. You know, it's like a lot of those guys that have stuff out now, like we wouldn't have the boys without Garth Ennis, you know, like we wouldn't have that great TV show without his work. And he was yep. making some crazy shit in the 90s, man. Um, but I know you more specific. You're, you're looking at like the the uh, <laughs> the darker <laughs> corners and I'll follow you there. I definitely will, because there's there's some stuff I like in that in that uh, dark corner of comic books. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And like I said before, like you mentioned Milk and Cheese, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, again, great books that really spoke to, you know, a a subculture as well. Like I mentioned Sandman, but also there's other big books that were, you know, in the public eye for as much as comics were publics in the 90s. But there was things like um, Marvels, for example, from Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. It was uh, Deadpool, who, you know, one of the biggest characters in the world right now from Marvel, you know, debuted in the 90s and then had a long running series that was a big hit. There was stuff like, you know, uh, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear. You know, um, and then just big crossovers that not everyone hated, but, you know, people like Batman Nightfall and the Death of Superman and stuff like that. Um, but I think there were, you, again, you mentioned Milk and Cheese and John and the Homicide Maniac, which I think that they do exist in these darker corners. And they're perfect examples of the comics that spoke to a subculture because they were really showing that there was some good shit over here. If you go into like the back of the comic book store, you know, right. walk, walk past <laughs> the Marvel DC stuff and like, look what else was back there. But I think the primary reason that the average comic fan thinks of the nineties as the dark age was be- is was image comics. I think image comics both revolutionized comics in the nineties and put a huge giant stigma on them at the same time unwarranted 100 percent, but needless to say it's there it, it still exists like there are still people to this day who will, will read a comic and be like oh that shit's so fucking 90s and they're talking about this so-called image style right you had the the six the six image founders rob liefeld eric larson jim lee mark silvestri uh jim valentino um who am i forgetting tom mcfarlane right yeah there you go and uh of those, I really don't think you can look at them and think, oh, there's like one single style that they all draw in. But I can see an argument that could be made for these sort of like over cross-hatched, over noodled, over detailed, like super kind of fussy look of guys like Silvestri, Lee, McFarlane, and LaFell. You know, I think Larson and Valentini were kind of doing their own thing. Um and then just this general impression that image comics as a whole were 
all fluff, no filler. They were all style, no substance because they were just artists who got to do their own book and they didn't want to pay writers to write shit for them. So, you know, of course there was writers like Peter David who just fucking dunked on image comics constantly about how their stories were terrible because they didn't know how to tell any stories because they were just artists and it's all flash, but fuck all that. (laughs) And and that's the thing. I, I, I feel to to a degree, there is an argument that can be made for these people are like the, these people you just mentioned are more artists than writers. But, you know, yourself like working, you know, we're, we'll eventually get to our origin stories. Um, but working with me over the years, it's like, you know, I'm primarily an artist, but I also write. And I think most artists also write. I think that you can't you cannot make comic books and not write your own stories now. You have you have to figure these were guys who were normally just having to worry about, oh, I just pencil an issue or, oh, I just ink an issue or, oh, I just color an issue. Now they were they were plotting out, writing, drawing, getting their whole first issue out themselves like they were doing it on their own. So were some of the stories a little weak to begin with? Yeah. Like we talked about Wildcats. We did a Wildcats Mm -hmm. episode and I found having gone back and reread that for the first time since I was a child. I found that the story was really fucking interesting. It was a little bumpy, like it was a little rocky in the storytelling, but the story was rock solid. Like I really liked what Jim Lee was doing with the concept. Hmm. And, you know, I think there was a lot of that in early image where it was like the concept, the idea was really strong and you could easily get lost in that world but it might not have been as tight as say someone like an Alan Moore or a Neil Gaiman, you know, what, what, or a Mark Wade or something would, would put it, you know, like they would, they would write it a little tighter, but I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of love there. Those, some of those older comics. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, using image comics as a, again, sort of a microcosm for like the whole industry at the time, there was so much creativity, you know, and I can't help but mention other nineties comics, you know, kind of, uh, going aside for a second, but like fucking like Sin City and Bone oh. and Hellboy. I mean, yep. Jesus, right? Um, so you had quality comics and you had stuff that was art, very art centered, like again, Hellboy and Sin City. I mean, how can you not love those books? And people love them for the art first, but the stories yeah. are so good, right? They're so good. Uh, but yeah, I, I would agree. I, and I think what was so great about the image founders, and we'll throw Wills Potasio in there as well with Wetworks, is that the uh, they were very you know flashy very stylistic they they were the action movie stars you know of comics at the time right with you know big exciting action but they were the darlings when they were at marvel primarily prior do it before drawing things like spider-man and guardians of the galaxy and x-force it was like everybody of course x-men right one of the biggest comics in the world at the time everybody loved these artists but then when they were like well fuck it we can write our own stories suddenly it was like well no you can't you guys suck it's like well wait (laughs) where did that shift happen you know what i mean like (laughs) we were great a second ago (laughs) exactly but then like look at but if you just look at the general um premise behind those original seven books and i don't want to go on and on and on about it but like you mentioned before how they were like really strong ideas and they were and i'm not saying that they were like groundbreaking no one's ever done it before but you know i was a kid in the 90s reading comics and i read a lot of fucking comics i worked at the comic book store i could read them for free and so you know i'll be here to say look when youngblood came out 
from Rob Liefeld. And it was like, wait, the superheroes are celebrities. You know, they're like on TV and on talk shows and everyone knows them. They're like, and, and they like, they have day jobs working for the government. That was such an interesting and new concept at the time. It was like, whoa, they, they didn't all have to be, you know, these angsty vigilantes with, you know, uh, alter egos and secret identities. Like they could literally just be celebrities. Like that's such a good idea. And then you had, Eric Larson, where it was like, well, why can't the superhero just be a cop? Like, why again, why they all have to be brooding vigilantes, like, you know, hiding from the law? Like, just make them a cop. And I'm like, right. That, that was so <laughs> genius at the time, you know, <laughs> yep. with, with, with the Savage Dragon. And then Wildcats was literally just angels versus demons, but with like cool superhero costumes and names, you know? And I'm and, like, and again, sci fi elements. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, wait, it was just. It was like just a sci-fi, you know, Old Testament, like so yep. cool, right? That's what. I, again, it was a fun concept, right? And you had you had somebody like Spawn, which that's just like a cool elevator pitch, right? Where it's like you oh, know, yeah. guy guy makes a you know he makes a deal with the devil to like you know he gets murdered, makes a deal with the devil to go back to Earth to be with his family, except of course it's the devil, so he fucks him over, sends him back to Earth, all scarred up and fucked up, and it's five years later, and his wife is remarried and with some other dude, and they have a kid, and it's like, you know, this he made this deal to be this, like, you know, uh, demonic soldier, and got nothing out of it, and now he's just, like, fucked, and so he basically gives a big middle, middle finger to hell, and goes off and does his own thing, and it's like, that's a great high concept story, you know? See, that in particular, as as a again as a young kid reading that, it scratched it, it scratched the right itch for me because it dealt very heavily in horror, but it also dealt very heavily with Christianity concepts. So there was a lot of stuff that I was very familiar with, and I mean here it is in the middle of superhero fucking story, and I'm I'm you know I was comic book fan as a kid, so it's like. I'm the the kid renting horror movies on the weekend, you know, going to church on Sunday and reading comic books all throughout the week. Suddenly I have a superhero who, you know, can fight alongside characters like the Savage Dragon and Youngblood, but yet he got his powers because he made a deal with the devil. And when he was a (laughs) human, he was a government assassin. So he was working for his government thinking he was the good guy, but he was murdering tons of people that, literally maybe didn't need to be killed it was more or less a uh you know a um what's the word i'm looking for like the government wanted these people dead for reasons that may not have been just you know yeah stuff yeah. like that i loved the nuances of those kind of concepts and at the time i had never seen anything like that so for young mike to come across that book i was blown away and then of course you know we intro- we introduced stuff like you know, the, the characters he fought, like he fights a giant fucking cyborg. Then he fights <laughs> a child molester. Like, and there's a whole story about that child molester going to hell and like being stuck in hell. Uh, he fights a demon. Then he fights angels. And and apparently heaven has bounty hunters who hunt down <laughs> demons. It's so like, cool. It was so wacky and insane, but yeah, like I fucking loved it. I ate it up. And and then you got the HBO uh, you know, cartoon that came out. The, to this day, I'm sad did not get more than 3 seasons because it's one of my favorite pieces of animation of all time. Um, and then of course, you know, the unfortunate movie. <laughs> um, yeah. I will say yeah. much like our Super Mario Brothers movie. I have watched Spawn in the last 10 years. And I got to say, it is much better than I give it credit for. It's not a good movie. It's not, <laughs> but it is entertaining 
And John Leguizamo and Michael Jai White are just fucking crushing it. Like they're doing everything they can with what they got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're doing damn good. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that in one of our other episodes too, where it was like, they, what they, they, what they did with the budget they had was pretty impressive, you know? Uh, and it just sucks that the special effects didn't really work out, but um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I, and what I'm saying is like, we didn't like spawn because we were like, you know, 12 year old boys were like, yeah, it's so cool. Like it's got demons in it, man. But well, it's like, but it was like the high concept of it was really solid. Like it wasn't just like, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to make my own comic. So I guess I'll just make a superhero, I suppose, you know, uh, you know, like, I guess he's got an alter ego and, you know, he's an orphan, you know, like every other superhero, like they were trying to do something different, you know? And, and like, uh, you mentioned Shadowhawk earlier and Shadowhawk was mm-hmm. awesome because let's admit it, he was basically basically batman but it, except it was like he was, he was batman yeah he, exactly and he was he was the superhero who was like well why can't i just you know kill maim and cripple people like <laughs> right. don't you don't you want criminals off the street so he was <laughs> brutal right and again yep. for you know for for kids of the 90s it, you read this comic coming out of like your typical like Marvel DC book. And then here's Shadowhawk who's like, well, you know, you know, if Shadowhawk came across like the Joker, then the Joker would be a paraplegic forever. Right. So (laughs) Shadowhawk wasn't going to fuck around. So like the initial elevator pitch is really cool, but then, you know, when you read that book and then over time, it's like he goes through this, this whole redemption arc where the character finds out that, you know, he's he's he has AIDS. And he's dying from it and he's trying to first find a cure and then find a way to, like, redeem himself and, like, help help the world and better, you know, other people who have AIDS as well. And so he goes through, through this whole emotional uh, you know transformation throughout the series that was just like you didn't see that in comics at all, let alone in the 90s. You know, Um, and one other thing about Shadowhawk that I I always found kind of interesting is they had some some of the villains in Shadowhawk. Now, it wasn't fleshed out as good as it could have been, but some of the villains like they had like there was uh, like emotional weight to them. Like we had the liquefier, the weird alien mm -hmm. thing. And like it was trying like it was it, it wasn't trying to kill people. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, that thing where it was like it didn't want to do it, but it was like, first of all, it needed to eat. You know, and that's what it was doing is it was liquefying people and eating them. But then it was like trying to stop itself. It was almost like a drug addict. Like there was a lot of like parallels between like someone hooked on drugs and what this thing was doing. And when Shadowhawk was trying to fight it, like it was trying to get away. It didn't want to fight. And then it had, you know, Shadowhawk left him no choice. So he ended up killing Mm -hmm. him with a weird grappling hook and ripping its heart out. (laughs) But it's like I remember reading that as a kid and being kind of shocked by like the big monster didn't want to do what it was doing. And like, again, that that hit me in a weird way as a kid, like, wait, that's something I haven't seen before. You know, there was a lot of that in Image Comics where it's like ideas that you just didn't see elsewhere. Yeah, or it, it, even right down to the fact that you know Shadowhawk himself, you know, was HIV positive. It's like you—that was unheard of. And and by sheer coincidence, there ended up being two characters, you know, in the early Image days. The other one being Chapel from Youngblood, that was also an HIV for entirely different reasons. But it was just again—you didn't see that in comics at the time. So it was just—it was such an interesting take on on things. And you know, I think the only one that we haven't mentioned was Cyberforce, which. A lot of people look at Mark Silvestri's Cyberforce, including me up until recently, 
and would have just looked at that and saw, oh, that's just the X-Men with like metal right. metal parts on them. Like you've got Ripclaw instead of Wolverine and Psyblade instead of Psylocke and Heatwave instead of Cyclops and like Impact instead of Colossus. It's like they're these like one for one comparisons. And I used to always kind of dismiss Cyberforce, even though I enjoyed reading it. I always thought it was like the one that was like the most, you know, unoriginal right out of out of the early image books at the time when I was a kid. I thought Shadowhawk was the worst one in terms of like the storyline wasn't that great, but Cyberforce was like just the most unoriginal. But I recently uh, through Kickstarter got the big omnibus collection and I, well, I've been reading a lot of old image comics for the past couple of years, which is why it's all kind of fresh in my head now, you know, 30 years later, because uh, right. this is the, this is the 30th uh, anniversary this year of image comics, which came out founded in 1992. But uh, yeah, that Cyber Force and uh, omnibus i ended up reading it again just expecting it to be like a like a popcorn flick on the, on the page and i realized there was so much more to it than i did that i didn't see at the time like yes the characters themselves may have kind of been like reskinned versions of the x-men characters that mark Silvestri was drawing at marvel but the story was really interesting because the these were all like they weren't superheroes they were like freedom fighters they were literally um trying to break up like slave trading rings of of this evil corporation who was like kidnapping people with like powers or you know special abilities or whatever and like turning them turning them into these like brainwashed cybernetic super soldiers like literally like taking their bodies apart and like rebuilding them into these like frankenstein monsters that were just like brainwashed assassins with like microchips in their head to control them and the cyberforce characters were the ones who had escaped and now they were trying to rescue all of the other like mutilated super soldiers and i'm like that's fucking dark as hell you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See now, Cyberforce was one of the ones that was on the back burner for me. Like I read my my main couple that I read, uh, you know, as a kid. Like obviously Spawn, like I talked about multiple times. Which one thing? I, I'm sorry, I I'm, I want to just go back to Spawn for a second. One thing in in the I think it was the first issue of Spawn that I remember hitting me really hard as a kid was like you know it's like okay he comes back all scarred. And, you know, the first thing that goes through my mind, because they make a big deal about how he has powers. I'm like, well, just use your powers, like take away the scars, because they said how he can literally do anything. So he tries to take away his scars. He tries to turn to turn back into Al Simmons and he ends up looking like some milk toast white dude. And he's looking at himself and he's like, no, this he's like, but I'm a black man like this isn't right. So the devil fucked with him enough to be like, yeah, you can use your powers to try to fix yourself, but you're still not going to be yourself. And I was like, that's fucked up. Like, <laughs> I remember as a kid that just really because he, he wanted to see his wife and he went and saw her as this person that looked nothing like her husband. And it's like, oh, that's harsh. <laughs> but so, again, enough gushing about Spawn. Um, but, yeah, I, I loved Spawn. I loved Shadowhawk. And I read a lot of uh, uh, Wildcats and Savage Dragon. Youngblood. And Cyberforce were the two that I was kind of like, eh, they weren't really my cup of tea. I liked them, but they weren't something that I like scrambled to read when I got a new issue. Uh, but I always loved, loved the designs of the Cyberforce characters. I thought they looked so fucking badass. I love, was it Striker <laughs> was the guy with the three arms yeah. on one side? Yep. I wanted a toy of him so bad when I was a kid. <laughs> I thought he was so <laughs> cool looking. And I know, then, right? uh, freaking Hellspawn from, uh, from Wildcats. Like, man, oh, when yeah. I... I saw that design. I'm like, 
I, there needs to be an action figure. I'm like, I was like frothing for a toy. Of that. And eventually when they came out with it, I bought it immediately. <laughs> like, I <laughs> yeah. freaking loved the designs in that book. They're so good. I love the designs of the Cyberforce characters. Hell, I love the designs of almost all of those early image, you know, characters. The Young Blood, especially. I was a huge Rob Liefeld fan because he was all, you know, flash and all style. And not that there wasn't any substance to it, but like I looked at Rob Liefeld, you know, comic book art, and I thought, okay, yes, I see where people could criticize this and why some people like don't like it, but it's so fun. There's so much energy and excitement. And I think all those artists had that excitement, but they also had just great fucking taste and style. They were young and they were cool and their characters were cool. And they were just, they had their fucking like fingers on the pulse of what, you know, kids and, and just, you know, teenagers and shit reading comics just that they wanted at the time. And, you know, just, and uh, and it's not just image comics. I know we're using that as sort of an example of like, you know, the the things that people kind of shit on. Because, again, p- there were so many criti- critics who would look at those comics and just be like, oh, like, well, the stories are lame. And, you know, they, they didn't have any good writers. And and but then <laughs> at the same time, like, I want to go back to talk about image again, because all that shit about not having good stories, I think, is total crap. And I have a thousand examples. But like. Image, the launch of Image Comics and that sort of like shift into this like bombastic action movie style, it affected the whole industry in comics. And Marvel reacted, you know, that they had these these amazing over-the-top bombastic books like X-Men and X-Force, and then they lost these artists, and then they tried to basically just copy it with, you know, guys who weren't as good, you know, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> – DC, who had always been kind of a little bit more wholesome, more family-friendly, you know, company. Not that they didn't have some dark shit, because they had, you know, the Joker beat the shit out of Robin with a crowbar in the yeah. 80s. You know, like, they had some dark stuff. They, you know, of course, they published Watchmen and The Dark Knight Returns. But in general, they were kind of the safer bet. But then, you know, DC was like, fuck it, we're going to kill Superman. We're going to break Batman's back. You know, we're going to, you know, turn all of our characters into these, like, dark brooding versions of themselves and you know whatever and uh, and then they really just leaned into the vertigo stuff that they had started with like sandman and swamp thing and so there was good and bad things you know that came out of the, the sort of shift in the industry but you know i'm here to say so many of those books are actually good they were good but people yeah. were just shitting on them because they were like oh that's that's that corny image stuff it's all like the the bad girls big boobs big guns big muscles kind of you know fluffy nonsense and like you know i'm a real comics fan i read sandman you know or like <laughs> <laughs> or even the superhero guys who were just like you know well you know spider-man and batman have like years of pedigree behind them type of thing it's like so, you know, it's like they're shitting on the new guy. It's basically the new kid on the block. Yeah. They were they were making fun of him. But, you know, there's there's something that, that we're going to uh, I'll use to pivot uh, for a second. That concept of the new guys and like just disliking it, because, like I said earlier, with the uh, with the remakes, just disliking it on principle without trying it. It's the same thing people do with direct to video movies. Oh, yeah. Direct to video sequels, you know, like movies that never get a theatrical release. And I remember that was that shit was still going on well into the 2000s. Like, I remember arguing the early days of Facebook, um, (laughs) arguing with people over uh, the uh, Curse of Chucky, the sixth Child's Play movie. Mm -hmm. And people were like, well, it was direct to DVD. And I'm like, and 
they're like, well, it's got to be bad. And I'm like, it's not. <laughs> like, first right. of all, it it's still made by the original creator. Like, it's still being directed by him. Like, he brought it back to its horror roots. Um, it's acted beautifully. Like, all the actors in it are great. Like, yeah, the budget is clearly not there. Like, if it like if it were a theatrical release, it would it would have a better budget. But they didn't need a huge budget. It's a fucking killer doll movie. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? you don't need it. You can make an awesome movie with no budget with that concept. And, and then I kept pointing out movies like the, you know, the VHS films that went direct to like VOD and, and DVD. And it's like the, some of the best entertainment in horror was coming out direct to VOD and DVD. And I kept trying to argue this with people, but there was still that bias. And now look where we are now with VOD and, freaking all the different streaming services like some of the best entertainment is on that and, and people get it now but back then they didn't and in going back to the age of the video store like you know if, if your horror movie didn't go to theaters they thought it was crap and they just wrote it off as a bullshit movie of course yeah. there were people like me and omay who were just like rooting around in the horror section <laughs> renting everything we could find but you know because we were the two reasons why you couldn't find slime ball uh sorority babes and slime ball ballorama anywhere in western new york because um, there was only two copies in anywhere, <laughs> any store anywhere. Because we every... had them. <laughs> exactly. But no, so so I I, I don't want to pivot off off of comics totally, but just that's what I'm getting at is like that that concept of oh it's got to be bad. It's that it's those image boys. It's that image. It's all all style, no substance. You know, but they never give it a shot. You yeah. Know, it's, if if you don't give it a shot, you and this is something that irritates me all the time. If you don't give it a shot, how do you know it's bad? <laughs> like, oh god, oh. yeah, exactly. Like you have to try it, right? And, yeah, I, and I want to, I do want to circle back into like some specific examples and get a little nerdy uh, in our our little image comics ghetto. But yeah, talking about you know uh, like streaming on demand, VOD. Like I, I, I'm not like a Hollywood historian and I don't remember all the details but like my impression being a a father with kids who couldn't go to the movie theater during COVID quarantine like you know when it was like the bad days you know when you couldn't everything was shut down you couldn't go anywhere and there were movies coming out or they were supposed to come out that never did and stuff was starting to come out in streaming but it was like you know there was a trickle a lot of shit was just either canceled altogether or delayed for years like Top Gun Maverick um but I remember, I think it was the Mulan live action movie that came out on Disney Plus, and it was like twenty dollars when it first came out, like to to buy it, which at the time was like twenty bucks. <laughs> like that's, right. that's a lot, you know. But at the same time, it was like we. I remember reading so many articles about that movie coming out that like, oh well, you know, Disney is, you know, clearly they they made they've made this terrible live action recreation of a beloved movie and I'm sure it's full of like, you know, racist, cringy bullshit. So they're just gonna dump it on Disney Plus and try to recoup their money with that twenty dollar price tag. You know, it was all this like negative shit about how sending it straight to, you know, streaming was like it was like they they weren't confident enough in their movie to just hang on to it until the quarantine's over and yeah. you know and we rented it and my kids fucking loved it they thought it was amazing and then it was like oh okay well i guess we'll do you know there was more movies coming out on, on disney again i don't remember the timeline but i remember we watched raya and the last dragon is that what that movie's called or yep. something and that one came out and they the kids like that and 
you know, we were already streaming stuff, but now there's like, oh shit. Well, now there's like new stuff coming out that's like direct to streaming, not just TV shows, but you know, but movies. And it was like, there's this whole paradigm shift to the point now when a movie comes out in the theater and it doesn't premiere same day on the <laughs> streaming service, people get pissed. You know, <laughs> hey, I'm I'm kind of there right now because I want to see Clerks three like really bad, but I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to get to the theater. Uh, during the the current Fathom events, because the Fathom events around here only go until Sunday, and it's only seven o'clock. That's the only showing they have. And every day this week, I was busy, like either I had to work or I had stuff planned where there was no way I could make a seven o'clock show. And like the the last show is on Sunday, and I got plans tomorrow and Sunday, and I'm like, well, shit, I'm not gonna see it in the theater now. Like at least put it up for streaming. Fuck, I don't care if it's twenty dollars. I'll rent it. Like, yeah, exactly. I want to see it. But yeah, and and there's no currently there's no um announcement of streaming dates or anything so i'm like oh this fucking sucks like and i don't and i know he's still touring it around but the next closest location it's going to be is in fucking toronto and i'm like i'm not driving out to toronto next month just to see a movie like that's not happening because i i really i personally have been a fan of the direct to consumer like direct to home market um since the 80s and one of the the first things that comes to mind, something I know that any listener who listens to the Rad Pantheon Collective will have heard me talk about multiple times, so I'm, I apologize, um, is the Full Moon, full moon Entertainment category, or, uh, Library. I was a Full Moon whore as a child. I loved everything they made. <laughs> and it is cheap. It is very cheap. It's di- it, it is direct-to-video. Everything was low-budget. But you have movies in there that well, like, OK, stuff like uh, Reanimator. Now, I know Mike's probably screaming right now listening to this because I can't think of the other <laughs> company that isn't full moon that technically Reanimator falls under. But you have stuff like Reanimator. You have obviously the most famous franchise of Puppet Master. You know, you have a lot of those types of films that everybody saw, everybody knew about. But people still said, oh, direct-to-video horror movies, are so, they're, they're the crap. They, they have no story, they're this, they're that, no good kills. And it's like, but there were so many good kills. <laughs> there was, <laughs> like, there were so but Like, the Puppet Master story, especially the first three movies, I fucking love that storyline. Like, it's so good. It gets bad at four and five. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they were kind of running out of ideas and churning them out as quick as possible. <laughs> But, like, you go from the first movie as a straight-up horror movie um, mm. where the puppets are bad, you know, and but they're bad because the the new person controlling them isn't Andre Toulon. He's this crazy dude, and he's using them for his own power. And they turn on him when, he, when they, they realize that the puppet master doesn't care about him, so they kill him. Then you have the sequel where the puppets use the last bit of the, the fluid, the little, like, the reagent, basically. All those old horror movies had some kind of reagent. Yeah, right. Um, they use the last bit of the reagent to bring back Toulon, but he's fucking nuts. He's a zombie. And, like, he's trying to bring back his long-lost love and all this other stuff. And they end up having to fight and kill their own, like, their creator. And then, like, it ends with them being taken over by a new puppet master. But then the third movie, we get a prequel, and we see Andre Toulon and the puppets fighting the fucking Nazis. <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> nice. You know? But, yeah, there was tons of shit like that. Like, I could go on and on about direct-to-video 
directed uh, VHS, you know, movies that I loved as a kid. But there's there's just so many gems that people have passed over. Yeah, like how many times have you heard yourself listen to the Boogeyman's Closet where I'll be talking about a movie that like neither Maurice or Susie had seen, but I had seen it a bunch <laughs> of times as a kid because I'm over there renting the bad movies at Blockbuster. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and years ago, you and I used to do that, too. Yeah. Years ago, mm-hmm. in the early, early 2000s, that was one of our favorite things to do when we would hang out is, you know, we would go buy like a bunch of snacks and, and cigarettes and shit <laughs> yep. and go, go to the go to the rental store and just go straight to the horror section and be like, all right, just look for like the most lurid, like a cheap. <laughs> cheesecake you know cover art with like you know some some painting that you know has nothing to do with the movie inside that box and yep. like we're, we're gonna rent that and it won't get we'll get like three of them and just go have a movie marathon and, and until we're you know we're silly on cokes and popcorn and and yeah and that's how we we found like sleepaway camp and a bunch of other oh, cool dude. movies but we watched I, so much weird shit back then <laughs> that was we actually were doing the um it was kind of a a parody of the joe bob briggs like like count he always has the countdown on his shows and we decided because of the <laughs> camp too we were going to count kills tits and mullets because yep. there were so many in that movie <laughs> yeah and then like every subsequent movie like the mullets got like either less or way more like it was one or the other it was it was never the like a consistent run of mullets but yeah the the, the tits and kills that was a fun count um, yeah, yeah, I, I still do the tits and kills count like to this day, yep, and it, and you they they're usually like you know the graph is pretty you know consistent where like if there's a lot of kills there's a lot of tits you know yep. and... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a slasher movie thing well like uh, we we just covered uh, Slaughter High on the Boogeyman's Closet and it's like it's it's right in that time frame of the cheesy slasher we're gonna pick a holiday and we're gonna pick a mask and we're just gonna have a guy kill a bunch of people in stupid weird ways and 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 it's just like they realized halfway through the movie we don't have enough tits yet uh so (laughs) quick get naked and like it was just like oh look there's there's tits for reasons (laughs) yeah yeah i listened to that episode of the big man's closet already and it's like uh yeah i forget it was you or mike but uh one of you mentioned that there's always a scene where it's like in the middle of the movie everyone's dying and it's like oh i feel dirty let me go take a shower you know and it was like it was i I don't even realize that i thought of that as a trope and i'm like oh fuck it totally is like there's so many movies that are like that and it's just like an excuse for some tits in the middle of a movie and when you combine a kill with some tits it's like that's the climax you know (laughs) (laughs) exactly right but and that's but that's a really good example of that it's like the style the you know the sort of uh fun aspect of those types of movies and yeah not everybody is into horror movies not everybody's into the quote-unquote like bad horror movies you know they're just so bad they're good ones um but there's so many good, good gems and I am not, you know, that nerdy when it comes to the dark corners of like the horror movie fandom. But, you know, I'd venture to say, and I'm sure you could rattle off a whole list of examples, that there are movies that exist that people think of as like bad horror movies. 
that are just genuinely no, like they're not bad at all. Like they're not so bad. They're good. They're not cheesy. Like these are just genuinely good movies that didn't have a good budget, didn't have good distribution or the people who made them just wanted to make it that way. Like that was the art that they chose to make, but like the script is strong the characters are good. The acting works. And it's like, but, but then people won't watch it because it has some, you know, ridiculous title, you know, like stabby four or something, (laughs) but like, you know, (laughs) I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Of, of probably one of my favorite movies of the last 25 years. Um, and this is a movie that came out in, I want to say 2006, 2006 or seven. I can't remember exactly when, uh, but it's, it's a film that went direct to DVD. And I remember, I remember seeing the trailer for it. And even I'm guilty of this because I, I judge a lot of times by, by the trailer, whether or not I want to check it out. Not saying that it's a bad movie, but like, you know, why are you going to sit and watch a movie that you don't feel like you have any interest? Like there's there's nothing, no spark that grabs you. And I remember seeing the trailer for Behind the Mask, uh, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And I thought the the, the title alone was that was a fucking mouthful. Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. And I saw the trailer and I'm like, yeah, okay, it looks kind of funny, but eh, I'll get to it eventually. It wasn't anything that I was in any rush. Well, Jess rented it. It was, um, you know, back when I used to work three to 11 all the time and she went out and rented a couple movies and she thought the trailer looked funny. So she got it and she called me at work and she's like, okay, I don't know what you have planned when you get home, but you need to watch this movie because I guarantee you, you'll love it. And I'm like, all right, whatever. So I get home, (laughs) I put it on and I'm not expecting much in the first 10 minutes of the film. I was so fucking hooked. And the movie ended, I sat there like in awe of how perfect of a slasher movie this is. Like it takes everything that every trope, every everything that Scream wanted to do behind the mask does it 20 times better. Nice. And it's so fucking brilliant. And I mean, we are going to be covering this on the Boogeyman's Closet, but there's just there's so much that the writing, the acting, everything about it is pitch perfect and they could not get the sequel off the ground because it went direct to dvd and nobody gave a fuck the problem is the 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 horror hounds the people like you know like me and omay and people who will mm-hmm. go out of their way to watch just about every piece of horror they can get their hands on like all the horror fanboys found it and fell in love with it um, it, it also helped a lot that uh, Hatchet 2 has a call out to it when they're they're talking about the legend of Victor Crowley. Uh, one of the guys is like, oh, that's weird. I grew up in this town called Glen Echo and when we had a guy named Leslie Vernon. So there was a little <laughs> call to that in, in a more popular franchise. Um, but yeah, this is one of those movies that is a shame that it did not get the love that it need it needed to to get more to it because everybody involved just they were firing on all cylinders like it's it's such a good film but overlooked because it was direct to dvd yeah yeah that's uh, man and see going back to comics for a minute like the, when i was you know that age uh, in the early 90s when i was first getting into comics and up to the point when I, I worked at a comic book shop for a little while so i was like 12 to like 15 or 16 and that was probably the most judgmental I've ever been in my life. You know, <laughs> but I think I had a lot to do with the fact that, you know, it was it was the, the it was the 90s. And there was a lot of uh, 
I don't know. I think culturally there was a, a lot of like labeling. There was a lot of like, you know, oh, like, you know, you're the stoner, you're the jock, you're the, you know, you know what I mean? They would just, it, I felt like I grew up with this sort of like need to like kind of put everybody into like what little box do you fit into? You know, like what's your, Absolutely. are you like the, are you the hair metal guy or are you the alternative guy? Or like, you know, even going more into that, like I remember having a, such a serious conversation at one point with one of my brothers, my older brothers, like older friends, you know, so like, you know, to me it was like this, uh, this wise old sage like cool girl who was try- basically basically trying to tell me that like look kid you need to choose either you're a nirvana fan or a pearl jam fan you can't be both and here's a whole list of reasons why you know and i and i just had that stuck into my head for so many years where i was like oh shit like what kind of what kind of music fan am i gonna be you know and it's like <laughs> and i know it sounds silly but i'm like 12 you know what i mean so, right, or, right. or th- 13 or whatever and uh it took me such a long long time to kind of break down these you know these barriers in my head where i was like separating things into like little buckets you know to the point where like i literally like i mean using nirvana and pro gym as an example like i literally did not listen to nirvana except for what was on the radio for years because i was like oh no i'm a pro gym fan you know what i mean <laughs> and there were so many examples of stuff like that stuff that i just i would not give it a chance like i wouldn't listen you know to certain type to most you know pop music certain types of hip-hop there was so many so much great music from the 90s that I I wouldn't give the time of day or if I did listen to it I would I was just shit on it and badmouth it and dismiss it oh man fucking you know Garth Brooks sucks and Whitney Houston sucks and you know all and all this shit and then like years later you're like well you know all that shit was like really kind of fucking good and if you just stop dunking on it for a second and just take it for what it is and who cares if it's pop or country or whatever like just listen to how fucking talented this person is you know and now I'm so agnostic to everything, but it's like, fuck yeah, dude, I love Nickelback. I like Creed, you know, all this <laughs> shit that I used to make fun of in like the early 2000s because it wasn't like cool enough. You know, and I dig it now. Um, I, I, I think that, that that's that you're, you hit the nail on the head when you said that that was a thing in the 90s because it really was. And like I remember personally, speaking of the music thing, hiding stuff that I was a fan of because I didn't want to get mocked by my friends. So, like, especially, like, when mm-hmm. I was working at Media Play, oh, my God, because I started working at Media Play when I was 16. And, I mean, I did not, like, I waited to hear what other people said they were a fan of, because, like, the stuff I felt I could admit that I liked was, like, Green Day and Offspring and, you know, the pop punk bands that were big at the time. But, like, you know, yeah, I, I was listening to fucking Wu-Tang and shit like that, too, but a lot of the people I was hanging out with did not like hip-hop, so I was like, oh, I don't like hip-hop. I don't like hip-hop. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yep. <laughs> I kept it hidden. Or like then when I real I I much like a lot of people that we know got kind of into techno and and that kind of stuff in the late nineties. Um, I was embarrassed to admit that I liked it because a lot of the people that I was hanging out with that I worked with at Media Play were huge like Canadian rock fans and they were mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> maybe a little snobby about you know stuff that wasn't in that category. <laughs> so I I was like no I don't I don't like that stuff at all no I I just bought it to see you know what my friends were talking about that's all <laughs> like you know so it's like I had to hide it and it's fucking dumb I remember doing that with movies too like mm-hmm. okay you you have in the late nineties you had you had that like art house kind of push you know yep. where it was like the uh, the Miramax push we'll call it. Mm-hmm. Where it was stuff like, you know, you had your Quentin Tarantino films, you had your Kevin Smith films, uh, you had stuff like, uh, you know, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, American Beauty, like all these movies that were kind of art house, 
but were making it big. Like it was, they were popular. Mm -hmm. So of course I liked those movies too, but I hung out with a lot of people that talked in like, uh, like film critic isms, you know, (laughs) we're constantly (laughs) talking about like the, the validity of this scene and that scene and all that. And I'm over here, like who wants to watch sleepaway camp three? You know, like, <laughs> ooh, ooh, me, me. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I kind of hid some of that shit because I was like, I ain't gonna be telling people that I I have a love for Charles Band movies. Like, I ain't gonna tell you guys that I just watched Ghoulies Three, Ghoulies in College last night. Like, because you know I would get made fun of. So yeah, it, that was totally a thing back then. But now it's like, fuck it, like what you like. Like, I can't tell you how often I have told my son that very thing. Like, he he currently is getting pressured to play uh, video games that he doesn't want to play. Like he, he tried out Warzone because all of his Xbox friends wanted to play Warzone. And then he, it, it's a shooter game. He's not, that's not his cup of tea. Yep. So he's playing it and he's not liking it. And he's like, you know, and then he's getting really frustrated because he's not good at it. You know, he's, he's getting, getting shot up and he's like, I don't like it. And I'm like, play what you like, <laughs> you know, like he's like, yeah, but they make yeah. fun for liking Minecraft. I'm like, then they're dumb. <laughs> like, they don't understand why you're enjoying this. They don't need to. You enjoy it. Don't worry about what they're saying. Have your fun. You know, and I always yep. point out, mm-hmm. like, I said, you have a dad who still plays with He-Man figures. Do you think many <laughs> other 40-year-olds are going to look at that very kindly? He's like, no. I'm like, exactly. Enjoy what you enjoy. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, the, the movie thing is such a uh, or the music thing is such a good example too. Like, I guess, yeah, I think my two favorite bands of all time are Zayo, which is sort of a metal, metal, hardcore, you know, band that used to be a Christian band, but now they're not. But they're, they're they still got a lot of haters because they're not quite metal, they're not quite punk, they're not quite Christian, they're not quite not, you know, whatever. But, but then the other one is They Might Be Giants, right? Which has a has a huge subculture, and then so many people who are just like that's like goofy silly music and they do like theme songs for you know like the mickey mouse club and you know and they were popular on like the tiny tunes in the 90s and i'm like yeah but sure so they made so they they have like you know kids albums but like so what like why does that make them bad they have like 20 other albums that aren't for kids at all you know and they, they make this like beautiful music they've won grammys they've had like number one hits they've been around since 1980 fucking two and they're still touring and still going strong and still have like best selling records like why why are they bad like i i don't understand what you're talking about you know and but whatever the point is you know, I, I and I used but I used to be embarrassed. I used to hide the fact that I liked them at the Giants because I was like, oh, they're, they're like this, you know, this goofy novelty band. And I'm like, fuck that. Like, I don't give a shit. They're, they're my favorite. Um, but yeah, but, you know, and back when uh, back when back in the 90s, it was like, you know, I had to kind of pick a lane and I was like, OK, so I'm going to be like this alternative guy. But like, I can't be like the sort of punk alternative like nirvana like the grunge not the grunge stuff i'm gonna go for the like alice in chains soundgarden pearl jam stuff you know and if i want to get heavy it'll be you know it'll be like metallica pantera you know and so i was like okay i kind of like staked out my claim i was like this is the kind of fan i'm gonna be maybe i'll do a little primus once in a while no i might get crazy you know (laughs) but but like, hey, I went and saw Sarah McLachlan in fucking concert, and I am not embarrassed about it. Like, 
I fucking loved Sarah, Sarah McLaughlin at the time. Not as much anymore, but like back at the time, I was a huge fucking fan. Uh, that yeah. was before. That was before she did that like Arms of the Angels song that kind of ruined oh, it. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I kind of, I, I kind of was like, all right, you jumped the shark with that one, Sarah. But before that, like that shit was good, you know. Well, um, and th- no, that's the thing. Like I used to get made fun of all the time for loving ska as much as I did. Like I was oh, a I love ska, ska nut. I still am. Me too. I, still, I love ska. Like you know, Je- Jess still teases me a little bit because like it was never her cup of tea. Like she didn't grow up listening to ska, but you know she tolerates it when I'm listening to it. Um, but it's like I get, I I, I get happy every time I listen to ska. Ska is happy music, even if yeah. the lyrics are depressing. <laughs> ska is happy music. Um, I I listen to that all the time, and I would get teased for it. And then the other one, I mean, this was a blink and you miss it era in the '90s. But do you remember in like the it, it wasn't quite the late, late 90s. It was like from like 96 to like 98. Uh, like it started a little bit in 96 and then went up to about 98 and then it started dying out in 99 was the swing and big band revival. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Swingers is like in my top five movies of all time. The fucking right? big bad voodoo daddy. They were yes. in that movie before swing <laughs> hit. You know, so, yeah, yeah. Swing, swing totally took off because of Clueless and because of um, what is it? Brian Setzer Orchestra when he came out with Jump Driving Whale. But big, but you know, bands like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy uh, and unfortunately the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Who I say unfortunately only because I was like I personally can't stand that band, but they were already <laughs> they were already really really getting popular. And yeah, dude, I I was all into it. I fucking loved, and that's another genre that I still listen to. I listen Me to totally. Too. I listen to totally different bands now. Like I don't still listen to, I mean, I occasionally listen to big bad booty daddy, I guess, but I listen to totally different, different bands now. Um, and I, I still like the genre, but for me, I've sort of discovered for at the risk of sounding like a snob, like more authentic, you know, sort of big band music. But it, right. that was like that swing revival in the nineties was like my gateway into like, Ooh, there's this whole other style of music, you know, that I never knew about before. Oh Yeah. For for me, it, like, and I still do listen to not not so much Cherry Pop and Daddies. There's like three or four songs from their one their one swing album, Zoot Suit Riot, because uh, the the rest of their stuff was more like punky. It was weird. Um, but Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, I still love. I still listen to the to their old albums. Um, and then while it doesn't quite fit the uh, swing revival or big band revival, it's it's it came out around the same time. It was more of a Dixieland thing, but Squirrel Nut Zippers. I fucking love oh, yeah. Squirrel Nut Zippers. And I, yeah, I for still sure. frequently put them in my rotation. But but yeah, I mean those were it was another thing. I remember I loved it when it was popular, other people loved it too. Then I still continued to love it and people were like, You listen to that? And it's like, <laughs> shut up, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I listened to I don't listen to I don't listen to a lot of ska anymore or swing, but yeah, at the time again, yeah, for years afterwards, I listened to it continually. But yeah, you, I had to kind of hide it, you know. And then, yep. you know, in the early two thousands, when I got into really more and more and more into like metal and industrial stuff, and I was in, you know, like a heavy band, you know, I mentioned before, it was like. You know, I had to hide the fact that I was like, dude, like everyone picks on Nickelback, but like, have you heard some of this shit? Like, dude can fucking write a song. Damn, you know, (laughs) yeah, it was like I had to kind of hide, you know, the fact that I listened to, you know, to Scroll Nut Zippers and They Might Be Giants and, you know, some of these other, you know, bands we mentioned because, 
you know, everyone was used to be so fucking judgmental. And I feel like maybe it's the social media culture now. Like, I feel like it's so much easier to just like what you like. And yeah. there's like a subgenre for everybody. There's a subreddit for everybody. You know, there's a <laughs> TikTok corner for everybody now. But yeah, but back in back in the 90s or, you know, or the early 2000s, man, like, you know, you had to you had to pick a lane. And it's just so stupid because there were so many good things and going back to our topic about like the deep dark corners and the dirty alleyways you know of yep. pop culture there was so much good shit that people were just dismissing because it, like oh it didn't fit into their pretty little, little definition of like these are the types of comics i read and this is the type of music i listen to and it's like oh there's so much good shit mm-hmm. i mean they even did it with the video games like i i can't tell you the amount of video games that i fucking loved like played all the damn time that I would have friends be like, that's a kid's game. Like, perfect example, Aladdin for the Sega Genesis. <laughs> what a great game. Dude, that is one of the best platformers of the 16-bit era ever. Like, it is so fucking good. Now, the Super Nintendo one is good, but that was mm-hmm. also that weird era where, you know, a game would come out on both Sega and Super Nintendo, and they would be two completely different games, but the same name. Like, there was, uh, yeah. there was a Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighters, it was like the Super Nintendo one was the far superior game because it had a way better roster. The one for Sega Genesis had a bunch of characters that, like most people, myself included, had no fucking clue who they were. Or it was like, I, I know that character, but I have no tie to them because they're from the Mirage comics and I don't know who that is. Like, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the Aladdin for Sega. I played the fuck out of that. And so many of my friends were like, it's a kitty game. And I'm like, but, but have you played it? <laughs> Like, it's so good. And, like, thankfully, you know, I had friends like Steve that, you know, were big video game fans, too. So he played it. He was like, this fucking game rocks. And it's like, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Shit, you know, not being a big gamer myself, like, we only ever really had, like, Nintendo. Like, we were a Nintendo family. Because to me, that was, like, the easiest one for entry. Like, it was easy entry. You know what I mean? And not all the games. They weren't all kids games but it was you know it wasn't it wasn't hard for casual gamers you know to get into it but yeah there was definitely a time in the early 2000s when i was just like what no i don't play any video games at all like no never i don't play anything (laughs) because i was like i didn't want to tell people that i was like well i only like nintendo and like no i don't own a playstation fuck like why is that so bad you know like (laughs) why are you losing respect for me because i've never owned a fucking xbox you know but like i've I definitely had those type of conversations with coworkers to be like, what, you don't have a PlayStation two or whatever. You never played like insert popular game here. And I'm like, no, like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I still play, you know, fucking the wind waker. <laughs> Dude, I've had for the last, like I would say 10 to 12 years, I have had those conversations numerous times at work because people will be like, Oh, did you play, you know, insert call of duty title here? You know, I've played, I, I've played like literally one Call of Duty. I've never played the franchise. I get it. I understand people love their shooter games. I love shooter games that have a story. Like for me, I need a solid story with my shooter game or I need some kind of weird quirk. Like perfect example, the uh, the Doom revival where it's like, how can we make you feel like you're living in a metal album cover? <laughs> like that's what the doom revival did and that nice. had enough of a tw- enough of a, a a strange hook to it that it kept me playing um or like something like dead island where it's like yeah it's a first person shooter game except you're going to use mostly melee weapons and shit's going to be running at you constantly that was freaky um but yeah like i would always hear like oh you don't play halo you don't play call of duty you don't play 
And I was like, well, what do you play? And it was like, and then I was embarrassed to be like, I don't want to play World of Warcraft because that was considered like, oh, that was like the South Park episode. Are you a nerd killing boars in the forest? Like, <laughs> ugh, you know, so, yeah, yep. it, that's another thing you had to hide it because it was while it was at one point the most popular video game in the entire country um, and close to being the most popular game in the entire world. It was also dunked on constantly by fellow gamers because they were like, it's nerd. It's a nerd game, you know. Um, but, yeah, it, yep. it's it's falls right back to the whole thing of like you got to you got to like what you like. And I know we've kind of veered off of the original topic of rooting around for the pearls <laughs> into like like what you like. But so circling back to the the whole uh, rooting around for pearls, going back to the the something we've actually covered before was. The uh, uh, for you, you mentioned Nintendo, the Friday the 13th game on Nintendo. Everybody oh, yeah. wrote that game off as being terrible. Everybody. There's reviews of it. There's a whole ang- anger video game nerd created his uh, fucking empire on how bad uh, Castlevania 2 and Friday the 13th were. Yep. <laughs> you know, but playing those games as an adult, especially the Friday the 13th game, it's like, that's actually a fucking gem. Like, it's really fun. It really is. It, the, the, I think the thing that we all fell for as as children was it was hard to understand what you were supposed to do because it yep. just drops you in with no direction. If you have something telling you like, hey, you're supposed this is this is the point of the game. And then you kind of know what you're supposed to do. It's a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. But but again, it's written off as being bad by most people who haven't even tried it. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and we've talked about some, a lot of movies, you know, uh, here on Race by Rentals, but you you on Boogeyman's Closet as well, where it's like, they're movies that people just universally pan, like Last Action Hero or Super Mario Brothers, yeah. you know, and it's like, and then you go back and you watch them, and you're like, I don't know, man, like, this is pretty fucking good. Like, I don't know why, why people are hating on this movie, because, you know, like, I, I get it. Maybe, maybe there's some corny stuff in it, but, like, this is actually pretty fucking good. Like, I don't know, I don't understand, like, what, where all the hate comes from. You know, right. and we were even kind of guilty of that on on this very show mm-hmm. with with those two in particular, because we had and we mentioned on on Mario Brothers, we planned we're gonna fix Mario Brothers, but then we found it didn't need fixing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it yeah. was entertaining as hell. Exactly, we gave it a chance, right? And yeah. so, like, I'm gonna jump back to comics because I wanted I didn't want this episode to go on forever and ever, but I wanted yeah. to kind of like mention some more specifics, like. Okay, so I, I, again, I don't want to go on forever, so I'm like, hmm, let me pair, let me pare this down. But for the last couple of years, I've been on this kick as a comic book collector that I want to collect slash read as many of the image founder comics as I can. Um, and as a collector, I think everybody kind of needs to pick like, well, like, what are you going to spend your money on? Whether you collect yeah. comics or toys or, you know, games or paraphernalia or sports memorabilia, you know, whatever. Right. And I mentioned sports memorabilia because it's like, hey, we're not all like pop culture nerds. Like, you know, there's all kinds of nerds, you know, <laughs> right, Ellie. exactly. And how, whether it's video, it could be video game consoles. Hell, it could be expensive cars. You know, people like fucking Jay Leno is a giant fucking nerd with like a, you know, like a huge car collection. But hey, that's his thing. He's got the money for it. Um, right. And so for years when I couldn't afford to buy like every comic that I wanted to buy, I was always just picking and choosing 
you know, I have a, like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't have a little bit of money. And so I got really into collecting trade paperbacks, specifically like used trade paperbacks I could find online for cheap because it was like the best bang for my buck, you know, a couple of dollars for a cheap um, collection of a series. And it was like, I get more story for less. And then they, they look really nice on a bookshelf. Like, you know, I could have a whole shelf full of books. So years ago I decided I'm just going to, buy trade paperbacks um and I've, I've gone back and i buy like you know single issue staple bound comics again now but since i got on that kick to to collect tra- uh, trade paperbacks trade paperbacks and hardcovers like you know square bound books with spines then but i was always a big image comics fan so a couple of years ago i was like you know what like just as a fun thing to do so because i like the thrill of the hunt right the, the thrill of the hunt as a collector is like some of the that's like the best part like usually it's like once you make that kill you're like yeah whatever on to the next one <laughs> yep <laughs> right um so for me i just need i need to, i just needed a goal you know I mean? like what, what am i going to hunt and so i decided okay instead of just randomly buying whatever i can get for cheap on ebay for a couple bucks i'm gonna like pick a project and so i'm gonna buy all of the wild storm uh, books that are available in squarebound format. Wildstorm is, you know, Jim Lee's company that published Wildcats, and then later things like Stormwatch and Deathblow, and eventually they went on to publish a lot of other great books later on too that weren't even uh, superhero stuff like uh, Ex Machina from Brian K. Vaughn. But anyway, um, but I wanted to collect all the squarebound Wildstorm universe books, the Wildcats, the Stormwatch, all that stuff. And it was just like a fun project. It took me several years. I eventually got them all, including some pretty rare, weird ones from the 90s. There were these crazy low print runs. You know, I was like some books I never thought I was ever going to be able to lay my hands on. And in the process of doing that, I expanded as I was going along digging around in the dark corners of eBay and I was like, Oh, like, look, there's these other like young blood Rob Liefeld, you know, c- books that were collected in trade paperback and same thing with Savage Dragon. And, and so I kind of, kind of expanded it from just Wildstorm to like all the image founders. And then I've just been obsessively reading all of these books in some cases, rereading them. And in some cases reading them for the very first time, because I couldn't afford to read them all when I was 13 with my allowance money, <laughs> you know? Um, and I went into it thinking that a lot of this shit is going to suck <laughs> because yeah. I, I myself had that same mentality of like, Oh, the nineties, you know, things were rough back then. Like we had some gems, you know, like Sin city, <laughs> but like a lot of it was pretty terrible. Um, and so the Wildstorm stuff is like, eh, it's hit or miss, right? The Wildcats is pretty strong, but there's a lot of like stuff in there that I was like, Oh, just struggling to get through, you know, when I was reading it. Um, and some of that stuff is just unreadable. And I won't say Wildstorm specifically, but just in general, some of that early image stuff, it does. And I, I was like bummed that I, that like my, you know, my expectation that it was going to be terrible and, and superficial shallow fluff was true in some cases. And, you know, I don't necessarily want, I don't necessarily want to name names, but man, I, I've got some trade paperbacks on my shelf that are part of my collection, but I almost don't want them to be because they were just <laughs> impossible to read through just fucking horrible trash. And I was like, Oh, this is exactly what I expected. But then on the flip side of that, 
I found so many just gems. Like, and that's actually what spawned this whole conversation was I can't believe that some of these books were really actually good. <laughs> like, and they, and it's like, they shouldn't be because on the surface, they just look so, you know, like I said, so thin, you know, like I read the violator versus bad rock miniseries, you know, violator, a demon villain from the spawn book. And then bad rock from the young blood. Who's like a 13 year old kid in like the body of basically the thing, right? <laughs> Big right. Rocky dude. And it's like, that book should not have been good. It was just, it, two popular characters smashed together for no actual reason, but they got fucking Alan Moore to write it. And, you know, Alan Moore was famous at the time for just, you know, cashing paychecks and spitting out whatever while he was working on his like, you know, real comics on the side. But like, Holy crap, man, that book was way better than it had any right to be. And, And again, yeah, it was Alan Moore. So maybe I should have expected it to be good. But like, damn, Violator versus Badrock was like a fucking cool ass story. And I was totally blown away, you know, but even on the flip side, like I said, I never really, really, really a big fan of Shadowhawk, but I read the entire original series and it just got better and better and better and better. And I just I was blown away by how interesting the character development was. And man, some of the most successful crossover comics that I've read, like maybe ever, like there's a whole storyline where every issue is like a guest star and it works and the story makes sense. And the characters are there for good reasons. And it's like, man, like they've so fucking pulled it off. Um, and then I've just, and then, you know, my tendrils have gone out and I've been like, Ooh, well, what about like the second wave of image? What about trencher? You know, what about, you know, the max and, and wild star. And yeah, see, and I think everyone loved the max too. It was kind of, it was kind of a sleeper hit and then it turned into that like MTV cartoon. Um, but I think, and, but everyone like dunked on stuff like trencher. Cause it had this crazy art style that was like hard to read. But if you do act, if you do actually read it, it's fucking funny as hell, dude. I was shocked that how funny it was. Now, trencher is one. I remember I only had, I think the first two issues. Um, I didn't, I didn't have much beyond that. I do remember liking the humor, but even as a kid, I remember the art just like confusing me. And and I remember when you got when you got back into this, uh, when you were getting those, you were sending me all the the books you had just picked up, and I looked up a bunch of trencher stuff, and it looks like something I do want to read now as an adult, but man, that art, like, and I'm and, and this is not me judging someone's art, like you know, as a fellow artist, like I don't want to be dunking on someone else's art style, but just it in some aspects it's kind of hard to figure out what the fuck is going on, like there's just it's got a very stylized look to it. That's, that's kind of difficult. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, it is. I don't know if it was a successful experiment. He actually did the same art style for a valiant book called punks P U N X uh, a little bit later that I thought was much more successful because the different, the main difference being that in punks, he used a lot of black, like black shadows, a yeah. lot of, and it was very dark, but it worked because then you had the contrast to make it a little bit easier to understand. So anyone out there listening to this, if you've never seen it, just Google Trencher by Keith Giffen and <laughs> just be warned because it, it's a little painful when you first look at it, when you're not yeah. used to it. <laughs> the artwork is pretty nuts. I have seen some uncolored uh, like original art that I Googled online and it's like, what am I even looking at? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now as we speak and 
it's again the style it's it's an interesting like i you know me i'm a fan of like weird uh proportions and like i like that kind of strange look to a comic but man some of the some of the trencher stuff it's like is that an explosion coming off of him is that part of his coat what is that like it's just <laughs> it's very confusing <laughs> it is and i think i think i found, i figured out why it was confusing to me because it's very very detailed like overly like noodled to death but i I think the biggest problem is that because there's no heavy blacks there's no depth so you can't tell the difference between like the character in the foreground the shit in the background or even like non-physical things like fire like it all just looks like it's on the same plane you know so it it really relies on the color but then the color is crazy (laughs) yeah i'm actually looking at his his punk stuff that you just mentioned right now that that actually does look a lot better yeah i'm just bummed because that that was it was canceled after like three issues so the story never finished but that's a that's a and this is a whole other conversation we can go down a whole other rabbit trail about comics but there are are there's a handful of comic creators over the years who have just like latched onto a comic story idea that they wanted to tell to the point where they just kept telling the same story like no matter what comic they were writing you know yeah and what i mean is like uh and I want to say it was Steve Englehart who had a character, the Mantis character from Guardians of the Galaxy from the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in the comics, she she wasn't originally in the Guardians of the Galaxy. It was a different character. But the point is, like, he had a story that he wanted to write for this character. He got – the book got canceled or he got fired off of it or something, and he never didn't never, never got a chance to finish his, like, Celestial Madonna story. So when he got hired at, at – uh, DC to write, I think it was Justice League. He just came up with a character called Willow that was the exact same character with a different name and just kept telling the story, but now with Justice League instead of the, the <laughs> like Avengers or whatever, you know? Right. <laughs> and Keith Giffen kind of did that with uh, Trencher and Punks because he had this uh, like mysterious villain from Trencher, you know, the, the villain in the shadows, but he never got to reveal who the villain was. So he just put the same character in punks <laughs> and, nice. just kept, and just kept telling the same story, uh, which I thought was really fun. But uh, yeah, I got so into Trencher that I even picked up like it left image comics and went to black ball comics and they did a couple of one shots and a couple of anthologies and I hunted all those down as well. And yeah, I got, I get, I, I get real, I get real obsessive and nerdy about that kind of stuff. So anyway, I don't want to go through a thousand examples. I definitely have a thousand examples, but, and not even just image comics, but you know, stuff at Marvel and stuff at DC, just all over the place. Hell, even shit at, you know, dark horse. We've talked about the predator comics back oh, in a predator episode. And like, even in the 90s, you know, I, as a comics fan, I had lost a lot of respect for Dark Horse because even though they did cool stuff like Hellboy, but then they had all these licensed properties like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Predator. And I just thought it was like cashing in, like selling out, like they were just cashing checks and putting out like one Terminator comic after another. And they were all just junk. And I think I just read the wrong ones because then, yeah. you know, years later I read some of the RoboCop comics and the Predator comics and it's like, fuck man, some of these are really fucking good. Some of the, some of the best Indiana Jones stories I've ever read are, are in, from the Dark Horse comics. You know, some of that shit like should have been, you know, in the, in the, uh, you know, it's, instead of the, the crystal skull or whatever the fuck that movie was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you know, I used to think the licensed properties were like, you know, just a, a check cashing ghetto, but even that shit was good. Right. You know, one one thing I do want to quickly bring up uh, in the in the world of comics, um, 
the the whole idea of like searching for the gem, like the diamond in the rough. Um, I, I still remember when House of Fantasy had two locations, had the one in Lockport and the one in Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. And I went to the one in Lockport and they had the quarter bins. There was a buttload of quarter bins. Yep. And I know you know the joy of digging through a quarter <laughs> bin and trying to find, like, in that dusty rack of a bunch of comics that didn't sell, like, here's here's a bunch of copies of Troll 1. Oh, look, here's, here's something good. You know, um, I know you actually like Troll, but I'm just saying. That. That's, that's where I got my copy of Troll 1 in a 50-cent yeah. bin. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I actually remembered you saying that. That's so why I threw that in there. But <laughs> uh, I remember going there in, like, it had to be like 2001. I was still living uh, with my parents and I bought an entire short box because I went through all of the quarter bins and I pulled every dead world comic out. Nice. And I, fi- I mean, granted it was all over the place. Like I was, I had giant holes in the collection because it was like dead world volume one, dead world volume two. Like, you know, I had it, like, it was like issue one, issue four. Like I, I was missing pieces in the middle, like it was all over the place. But I bought a, a short box full of those, and then I grabbed a bunch of, like, old Spawn comics that I was missing and stuff like that. But I went through the Dead World comics. I had never read them. And I just started reading. I was like, I don't know what this is. Let me just start reading it. And it creeped me the fuck out. Like, it is such a good horror book. Um, and, I mean, it has it definitely has those heavy nineties isms. Like there's a, there's a guy that has, he's missing a hand. And so he replaced it with a switchblade. Like there's shit like that. Um, you know, that just seems to fit (laughs) in the nineties, but you know, it's, it really grabbed me. And it is, it's, it's one of those books I would have never known about had I not gone digging in what people would consider the shit books. You know, it's like, Oh, that's the quarter. Mm -hmm. That's all the shitty stuff. And I found a ton of gems in there. Now, one thing I will say is, and I know you and I have discussed this before, Vince Locke, I both love him and hate him, his artwork. Same, same. He's, yeah, sometimes his art is fucking gorgeous. And then sometimes you get something like History of Violence where the book is amazing, but some of the art is like sandpaper on the eyes because it's so overly crosshatched. It's just like, ah, the, the artwork there is rough. But then you get other other pieces that he did for Dead World and they're just fucking gorgeous. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually, I actually hate <laughs> the history of violence, uh, the comic. I love really? the I love the movie. I hate the comic. Um, and I, I I wish I didn't, but I do I do dislike the artwork. Just yeah, I just you know find it unappealing personally. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people are still really like it, and I do like Vince Locke in general. But yeah, I I, I do find that one um, pretty hard to look at. But also, I there's elements of the story that I just find repugnant like they made some choices in the story that i thought were just they went too far you know and and yeah it's hard to do that in a story because you know where that line exists of like taking something beyond the level of like taste you know that's of course it's subjective and some people would really like to see that there's there's people out there that probably love the book for the reasons that i hate it for but i just find it so uncomfortable to read i just watched the movie i'm good like i'm happy that's one less (laughs) book i have to buy and put on my shelf you know (laughs) i this this is where where you and i slightly differ i totally get what you're saying i 100 percent do um, and I do feel that they did cross a line on several moments in the in the storyline. Uh, the 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 fucking dude hanging with the. Nah, we're not gonna get into it on that. Yeah, uh, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. There's there's just some stuff that's like, oh god, that's fucked up. Um, but 
I really did like the story. Like I, it, it kept me intrigued the entire run through the artwork though, is what kept making me kind of stop and be like, Jesus, this is, it's, it's rough to look at. Um, I do love the movie though. I will, I will definitely agree with you there. The movie's fucking awesome. Yeah. Movie's fucking great. Oh man. So anyway, we've been going on and on and I know we could continue to go on and on and just list, list off a thousand examples of music and movies and, you know, games and comics and all kinds of shit that, you know, are just great despite the fact that they shouldn't be, or people say that they shouldn't be. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of like what we're getting at here and what I hope anyone who's still listening to this episode you know, can take <laughs> away is if you're one of those people who maybe, you know, maybe you're not digging through the quarter bins at the comic book shop, or you're not digging through the random DVD, you know, discount pile, or you're not checking out the clearance rack at, you know, your Tory Taylor or whatever, like, Give some shit a shot, like take a take a gamble, you know, and I, I actually love to do that myself, whether I'm digging through discount bins or, you know, hell, just even reading digital comics online, like where it's like the the investment is so much less where it's like, you know what? I've never read this, you know, Lady Death comic or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, I never I never read Evil Ernie back in the 90s. You know, like, let me give that a shot, you know, or just just try something out because it's amazing what will turn out to actually be like genuinely good shit that somebody is out there dunking on it, telling you that it's terrible or you shouldn't like it or it's low budget. It's B grade, C grade. And there's so many good gems mixed into, yeah, there's a lot of shit out there. Like, don't get me wrong. Not not everything's good. Not everything's good. Right. I've I've read some fucking unreadable comics (laughs) (laughs) over the last couple of years, but like, you know, some of that stuff is just like it's so much better than it has any right to be. Um, you know, the last thing, last example I'll mention is I don't want to even explain what it is, but if you're a comics fan from the '90s and you know what I mean when I say techno comics, then I'm gonna say give those things a second look because everyone fucking hated those as like a total cash grab. But the the techno comics that were based on Neil Gaiman uh, creations definitely worth your time and you can get them super fucking cheap because everybody just used them to line their litter boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had to just look it up. Cause I'm like, I don't think I know what that is. And then as soon as I looked up techno comics, I'm like, Oh, I remember these. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I, I, sometimes we go pretty deep. <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> we, there's some deep cuts. There's some deep cuts. So yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. But anyway, Mike, yeah. uh, any 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 last thoughts on on the topic of the uh, the gems in the dumpster? No, just like, like I think you covered it all when you said just give them a chance because uh, there there is plenty of plenty of good stuff out there. And and let's be honest, like if you're not enjoying yourself, you're watching a movie you're just not enjoying. Don't finish it. Life's too short. Go on, move move on to the next thing. Same thing with a book or a comic. If you're not enjoying it, move on to the next thing. But at least give it a try. You know, it's like the the old uh, what 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 do they say on Yo Gabba Gabba? You know, try it. You might like it. <laughs> exactly. Oh god, I'm having flashbacks now. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> try it. You might like it. Oh god. I remember, I remember thinking that to Caleb when he was a little kid, <laughs> trying to get him or, to eat different vegetables. <laughs> right. What were those commercials? Those life commercials with like you know, Mikey will eat anything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was, the, he was the picky eater, and they were like, "If Mikey likes it, it'll be good." That he ate the life cereal, and oh, Mikey likes it. 
Exactly. Man, I heard heard that growing up my entire life. Oh, I'm sure you did. I'm sorry. But now you're having flashbacks, right? I am. <laughs> Sacred Heart. Mike, yeah. he likes it. Shut up. Oh god. But yeah, and I, I love that advice. Like, yes, don't be afraid to just quit, abandon. Like, you don't have to finish every book that you start. You don't have to finish every movie that you start. Hell, I quit watching This Is Forty in the middle of it a couple of days ago because I was like, this is trash. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I was I was so bored. I, I like Jed Apatow movies, but I was so bored. Anyway, oh. um, but it's okay. Like, not you don't have to you know finish everything. You don't have to like everything, but like give it a shot. But also like. I, I just encourage anyone, anyone out there, if you're going to take our advice for your life advice is mix in things that you don't normally would, that you wouldn't normally try. Like if you're like, if you're a type of person who like, who likes to read say fantasy books, for example, like if, and you always read like fantasy sci-fi, like, you know, pick up a horror book or pick up a, like a romance book, you know, just once every once in a while, just, you know, Google, like what's a popular, you know, like a espionage thriller or something and just give it a shot because you never know what kind of stuff you're going to end up, you know, really, really digging. You might discover a whole new genre that you, that you always dismiss because you just thought, Oh, you know, it's, it's not for you. And, you know, just who, who knows, like, you know, try stuff out. Like I, I do that. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't like, yes, I read twilight, you know, I, yes, I hated it, but hey, I had to give it a chance. I had to find out what all the kids were talking about, you know? Right. <laughs> See, now, I can't follow you on that one. But, uh, I, you know, like, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Me and Maurice talk about this all the time where because, uh, you know, we know a ton of the same like horror hounds. And th- there's unfortunately, there's a lot of people that if it's not a horror movie in the movie circles that we hang out in, they're not giving it a shot. Like or they're they're dunking on it because it's, you know, it's popular or they're dunking on it because it's got, you know, some popular actor in it. Like, I can't tell you how many local horror nuts hate the uh, the MCU or like anything Disney or any like DC movie or anything like that just because it's popular and it's superheroes, which somehow are stupid. It's like, you know, try something outside of your, your normal tastes. You might like it. Yeah, exactly. And, and and some it's okay too. Sometimes you can try something again. I've done the same thing too, where I've read a book or tried to and I was like, Yeah, whatever, this is stupid. But then like other people will tell me, like, no, 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 it's so good. You gotta give it a shot. You got it's like, you know, okay, fine, I'll give it a second chance or you know, whatever. Yeah. I'll try it again. Like and I don't sometimes you're just not in the mood for something, you know, and Absolutely. yeah, so whatever. You know, we could again we could we could go on and on, but the, the point is like Try out stuff, you know, dig in the dark corners, take, you know, recommendations from people, especially people who like things that you don't like. You know, if you're a metal fan, listen to your friends, you know, country, you know, song or whatever, like, you know, just because you never know. But you have the whole point is like you just got to be open minded about it. Like this this ghetto ghettoization bullshit of like building borders and labels between stuff. And like, you know, you got to be a horror fan. You can't watch anything else. So you got to be a metal fan. Can't listen to anything else. Like, fuck that. Like, that is just dumb. There's so much amazing entertainment in the world that there's no reason why you, you can't go and have fun, you know, with something. And yeah, I mean, there's there's quote-unquote embarrassing music and like cringy movies but some of that shit is good as fuck and don't let other people tell you that you can't enjoy yourself because fuck them (laughs) (laughs) i i think that sums it all up 
<laughs> all right, all right. We've gone long enough. So I will just say, if you're still listening to this for whatever reason, and you don't know that we have a website at RaisedByRentals.com, and you can find us at RaisedByRentals on all the social medias. Now you do. Also, we belong to the Red Pantheon, a super team of podcasters, artists, musicians, all kinds of uh, creative friends just supporting each other and helping to spread the word about rad stuff. So if you like this show, go check those out radpantheon.com and at radpantheon on all the social medias any last thoughts mike no i think we summed it all up <laughs> all right try new stuff try new stuff try rad stuff so i won't do the plugs just go to radpantheon.com all the links are right there just try stuff out even if you don't think it's for you check it out anyway so thanks to everyone for tuning in once again to our super gushers program if you had fun with us Drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Leave a comment. Leave a podcast rating. Tell us what we should gush about next time. And with that, I'm Josh. I'm Mike. And we have to return some videotapes. Raised by Rentals is a member of the Rad Pantheon Network. Visit radpantheon.com to support rad stuff. The theme music is Forbidden Fruit by Velvet Bethany. You can purchase music and learn more at velvetbethany.com. Indeed. Beware the. <laughs>